This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Wednesday, 1st of February, 2023, and we have a new day bringing a new change of direction. We have a lot of nervousness ahead of this FOMC meeting tonight. Yesterday, we're getting some data that has the market pretty excited. Plus, don't you know it, a Wall Street Journal article from Nick Timmerhaus about the possibility of the Fed nearing a pause after a potential March 25 basis point additional hike uh, after this employment cost index data point yesterday. It was one of the key data points that kicked off the Fed uh, into uh, full gear late last year. It didn't kick them off, but it can, you know, had them continuing their very hawkish message. The one coming in yesterday was uh, at 1.0% quarter on quarter versus 1.1% expected and 1.2% the prior number. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, it's hard to pull away one, one session's actions. We've seen for what, three sessions running here, but uh, the lean now is that the Fed uh, is going to conform to the market's view. And the question is, as we've talked about, how firmly does Fed Chair Powell want to push back against the Fed's pricing, or sorry, the market's pricing of them to hike these 50 more basis points. So the 25 tonight, the 25 perhaps in March, pause for a while, and then already cutting 50 basis points potentially by year end and then massively so uh, next year. That seems to be the question. Uh, on the earnings front, we've got a kind of a mixed bag, Peter, I think, to say the least. But I guess we can uh, have a look at what we've uh, done here with the uh, chart yesterday for the S&P 500. Again, a big rally uh, yesterday that to sort of engulfed the prior days, uh, certainly the prior days downside. We posted new lows, but then closed well above the, the highs of the day or near the highs of the day from the prior day. A reversal, but we're all waiting for these, both uh, the Fed and some key economic data through the end of the weekend. And of course, earnings season rumbling on, uh, especially tomorrow, I guess. I think I think what happened yesterday was that you had the Tim Rouse article, you had a lot of earnings coming out. Caterpillar was was sounding uh, quite upbeat on 2023. They a little bit of weakness here in Q4, but the market was looking through that and shares were down a little bit. But they had also been in extreme Chinese reopening uh, bet, and I think some of that was uh, people just taking gains. But it was overall the outlook was quite strong. UPS saying, yeah, we're seeing weakness right now, but we expect the Europe to bouncing back from current levels, and, and the same goes for China. And then you basically if you took all the earnings releases into account, and I did that, and and I updated our our aggregate uh, figures. You could see that you know the the Nasdaq 100 index went from you know declining quarter on quarter on earnings per share to now being up almost two percent. S and P still down three percent, but it yesterday's earnings definitely improved the Q4 aggregate numbers. The outlook so so on uh, across the board. I think the market right now, John, is extremely good at. Oh, it's not extremely good at it. It's trying extremely good to see through every uncertainty or uh, a short-term pain that could be there and just looking for, for the rebound. Yeah, they might have recession, but it's going to be shallow. Uh, the Fed is going to uh, to cave in. Uh, inflation is going to come down. Earnings, well, going down a little bit, but then it will bounce back, etc. That's been the overall story, and I think that's what really have, is carrying equities here. Two uh, other interesting facts. So, so Snap reported after the market close down 15%. It's not really weighing on, on sentiment. We'll talk a little bit more about Snap later in the podcast, but I want to highlight UPS because I'm not talking about that later. And UPS had a one fun fact, which is that the that Amazon is, is seeing a slowdown or a, a decrease, sorry, in its uh, percentages of global volume for UPS. So I think they were down almost half a percentage point in one year. So apparently Amazon 
might have peaked, at least on a relative basis, they're losing uh, market share. And I want to quickly browse through uh, slide three. There's a lot of focus on, on Europe, <clears throat> lower equity valuations, a positive story about uh, you know the physical, the physical economy, energy and mining companies doing well, is propping up their European and equities. And if you look at the Q4, figures that we have got in from the earnings releases this is the uh, this is a progression of quarterly revenue per share in uh, in dollar so there could be a little bit of a currency in there but still the earnings releases have been quite strong from uh, from europe so again adding to that positive story and flows that are moving into europe all right it's certainly a, a back and forth in risk sentiment and not least a back and forth in the us dollar uh, as you can see there on slide four, the euro dollar. So we were posting those new lows around 108, new lows locally and very locally and still a very shallow consolidation. As I discussed yesterday, just to seeing a proper consolidation of this trend and a sort of the bigger picture, you can go all the way down to 104 and that would be, merely be a 38.2% retracement of the entire rally off the lows uh, from last September. So yeah, that uh, it all sort of fits together, of course. The Fed potentially... The market hopes uh, delivering this uh, as expected message tonight, and we have risk on. And what do you see? You see the dollar weaker, and Aussie as well bouncing back and, and very strongly. That sort of Chinese reopening trade uh, coming back in. It seems you see Aussie Kiwi still coming in strong again, uh, pushing towards that big 110 level and the 200 day moving average there. That's going to be linked to the metals market. Uh, I think the one outlier here in FX, uh, you know, we're waiting for this uh, FOMC, not least that, but also the U.S. data which will be very important as well, because I think in the end, uh, let's let's be honest, the Fed is going to react to incoming data, regardless of what the market or the Fed's own expectations are. We all know that. So if the data doesn't cooperate, whether it's this week or the coming cycle, um, then we have to be uh, on our toes around that. And I think one narrative that may be developing here and one of the drivers of a, a weaker dollar, besides something like yesterday's employment cost index, is this upcoming CPI. There's a big revision to the methodology. And some of that revision focusing apparently on the owner equivalent rent, which is a major portion of the uh, of the CPI calculation, its largest component, and tends to lag extremely badly, both on the way up and on the way down. So right now it's continuing to rise. Uh, the idea that uh, housing costs uh, and rents, et cetera, are continuing to rise if you follow the owner's equivalent rent, but actual live data showing what actual new rental contracts are uh, being agreed shows we're actually in, you know, at least momentary month on month, the uh, last few months in a, a declining and actually deflationary period. So interesting to see that the narrative would be that the Fed would be looking for an excuse to uh, sort of uh, peak rates soon. And there is the background longer term narrative that uh, the Treasury is not going to be able to find enough buyers for its debt, and eventually will run into trouble there. We can get to more on that in, in future podcasts. But I think uh, a lot of interesting, uh, very short term, both data and expectations uh, aspects here, and plus the longer-term narrative that the, the, the Fed is eventually going to have to fund the Treasury and really can't ever meaningfully get ahead of inflation uh, for the cycle. Actually, inflation being part of the solution to the uh, very leveraged situation across the U.S. economy. All right, the, but the one outlier, as I should have uh, continued my thought with, is the Swedish krona, and I'll get to more to that, but just remarkable to see that it is posting new lows for the cycle, close to the record lows versus the euro, uh, hitting something like 11.40 yesterday. And this is uh, supposed to be a, a currency that is highly tuned to the outlook for the European economy, for the global economy, for risk sentiment, all of which have been very supportive traditional metrics for the corona. And yet 
it is hitting new lows. I think it's definitely related to the impact of these higher rates into the Swedish housing market and the risks of something systemic developing there and the Riksbank having to back off in relative terms to relative to other central banks to avoid something uh, afoot there. And there's even a, a um, speech by the uh, Riksbank chief yesterday on that front that it risks systemic uh, risks, financial stability uh, with these uh, rate hikes we've already seen. One of the most highly leveraged housing markets in the world. So I think an interesting counterpoint to the optimism for these smaller open economies in particular, where private leverage is extremely high and it's very linked to housing and these higher rates impact a lot of the uh, mortgage situation and people's finances quite quickly because many of those are not on fixed rates. All right, rolling forward, we saw some uh, other action across commodities, not entirely consistent, but uh, commodities generally bouncing back uh, with that weaker dollar uh, yesterday, or I suppose. Absolutely, John. Uh, it, there's no doubt that the that that attempt to see a correction in the dollar early in the week also helped drive some of the correction pressure in uh, in, the, in especially in the metal space. But uh, so far. I would say uh, both uh, gold and uh, copper, which has been the, uh, some of the main drivers uh, behind the gains last month, uh, passed with uh, with pretty uh, pr- passed pretty well. That that first test, at least, we bounced uh, uh, strongly after hitting 1900 in gold, and we also bounced uh, uh, in, in the copper market, which is now drifting a bit lower again. So uh, we're probably not out of the woods yet, but uh, at least. Uh, there were some signs of buying, uh, buying coming back in into the, to that market. I'm, I'm highlight some of the levels there on on slide six, but also the uh, the energy market slide five uh, is is, is uh, seeing a recovery. And 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 I would argue that the sell off we've seen this week has hasn't has had nothing to do with fundamentals. It's more uh, driven by technical selling. Hedge funds, as I highlighted, was very very heavy, strong buyers of, of crude oil in the uh, past few weeks, if not past few months. And uh, that basically triggered some uh, the need for long liquidation as we failed to break up, uh, break higher last week. Uh, I think some of that, uh, whatever selling was needed, probably most of that has been done by now, and that's why we're seeing uh, seeing a bounce today. Because we have to remember that it's, this is still a market where torn between the prospect of a recovery in China, but at the same time also worry about the impact and supply from the sanctions additional sanctions against uh, Russia that comes into play uh, uh, later this week. I just put in the uh, graph uh, from from Bloomberg, just highlighting that the Russian diesel, as uh, the embargo approaches, uh, Russian diesel has has collapsed as well. So uh, just like uh, Russia is forced to sell its crude oil at a heavily discounted price to uh, to the global market, the same goes now for diesel. Um, according to this, the uh, Russian origin diesel is now selling at a, at a price close to eighty dollars a barrel, whereas the rest of the market is, or the international market is trading closer to one hundred and twenty. So, uh, just once again highlighting the uh, the, the, the obviously the, the risk of supplies to uh, to the world, but obviously also the the heavy strain that it's putting on uh, Russian finances uh, with these sanctions. All right, you mentioned uh, well, we you brought Snap into the conversation in terms of earnings. There was a big move in Snap, uh, down 15% in extended trading. We were talking a little bit about this, whether this uh, company is a proxy for uh, the giants out there, the Metas, the Googles, uh, Peter, on, in terms of uh, you know, ad, ad buying or ad revenues. Do you? What's the takeaway here from this and, and, and the other stocks you're watching today? Yeah, so <clears throat> before we talk about Snap, uh, we need, of course, to highlight Noble. Lots of volatility in in early trading hours here in in Europe around Novo Nordisk. So Novo Nordisk was up a lot on the uh, on the Q4 earnings, which were very strong, and and the outlook in particular. I mean, they they guiding a 23 outlook on revenue and operating income up 
in constant currency terms of 13 to 19%. That's a lot, uh, especially because half of the business is, is, is priced in dollars. So when you when you price it here in constant constant currency, I, I think that's a pretty impressive uh, growth rate. And it's uh, they have they have two segments that are really doing quite well and that was also helping them to beat on q4 it's they have something called the obesity obesity care segment uh, that segment beat on uh, on against the estimates and then it has the uh, i don't know how to pronounce it john wickeny 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 w- i think Wigovia. it's, called, I think it's uh, actually wigovi wigovi it's their it's their you know chronic obesity drug which has been FDA approved. It's it was really a blockbuster, and people might remember uh, over a year ago there were some issues with a startup uh, in their factories in in the U.S. It was holding, and investors at that point were really worried: could, could they could, would they lose their first move advantages potentially in this new market? Very key for that growth story, and and they have just come roaring back. And um, yeah, but 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 the stock has been selling selling off a little bit here after the initial initial jump. It is a very pricey stock to say the least. It, it, I think it trades very close to thirty five on the on a PE ratio. Uh, not that that is the best measure for a pharmaceutical, a lot of R and D expenses, but that's a measure that most people can understand. But it is in any in, in any other measure as well, but pretty highly priced and has gone up and almost doubled in a little bit more than a year. As you can see here on the share price on uh, on slide seven. So so watch watch out for Norman Nordisk. It's as fast becoming one of the biggest companies here in in Europe. And then Snap, as you as you mentioned, John, the, there is you know the the Q the Q four results were pretty much in line both on revenue and and earnings per share. It was their comments about the year to date performance. So revenue growth is down seven percent year to date versus uh, minus ten to minus two percent internal forecast. So a little bit in the low end of that internal forecast range. Uh, they're saying online advertising figures and spending are stabilizing now, so it's not deteriorating any longer. But on the other hand, they're not seeing a big rebound either. Um, Steen, our, uh, our, uh, our chief investment officer, was sounding very negative on the business model. I, I think we need to be a little bit careful about, you know, we need to distinguish between because they had they actually had positive user growth over the past year on a global basis. So there's still an upgate, uh, uptake, and an engagement increase for Snap's uh, product. But right now, the price environment in online advertising have been hit pretty hard so if you remember back it has been it has been coming in two phases so the uh, three phases actually the first phase was the pandemic significantly higher price on online because of massive demand relative to uh, inventories uh, available then the second phase with the data privacy updates from apple that made it very much difficult for meta and and google and um, and snap to track users across the the iphone ecosystem and that uh, impacted pricing we know already that from from meta it also impacted for snap so there have been these waves and now the third wave is that we have that we have this general slowdown and cost reductions that's the third wave and that's impacting as well pricing and volume and if they if they if they're telling the truth which they ought to do according to securities laws um the advertising is stabilizing and maybe there is a, a rebound path from here on and snap but the, the shares were down 15 percent in extended trading now that's an interesting one i don't think that one is it weighing too much on the on sentiment i think it's all about the fmc another news here in europe which is also chinese news i think is pretty big let me try to scope it here so cattle which is the world's largest ev battery maker very key technology massive volume big supply for tesla we know this conflict between the U.S. and China, and some of the last things that Trump did before he left office was like really pounding hard on, you know, on the on, on the Chinese uh, ADRs. And there's been documentaries about how that market has been been filled with fraud, etc. And there's been accounting scandals for some of these Chinese firms that listed in the U.S. 
there is generally these uh, new uh, accounting rules that Trump enacted before he left office that will force, and we've talked about this before, it will basically force every Chinese company to, I think, delist from the US unless they comply with accounting rules, which the CCP will not allow in China. And now Catalyst is considering a global uh, depository receipt offering up to five and six billion dollars in Switzerland. I think this is very, very interesting because it's it sort of, maybe this is a new market that will that will arise because maybe China sees Switzerland as a neutral country. China was also allowed to, to buy Syngenta, Europe's second largest chemical company out of Switzerland a couple of years back. So, so I think this is very interesting developments, and I think underscores this that the U.S. and 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 China uh, are decoupling in many ways, and and maybe there is a the boon here for, for for Switzerland. Yeah, interesting story on that Syngenta. I remember that's that's quite some years back, if I recall. Um, I wonder if it could have been done within the last year or two, uh, a deal like that. All right, uh, let's. Uh, probably. At, yeah, probably not. Uh, today, let's look at the uh, the earnings calendar, and of course, uh, tomorrow's. Coming up with Apple, Apple, Alphabet, and Amazon after the close tomorrow. But we also have Meta up uh, today. That has to be some some takeaways from that, as well as the focus uh, on their massive uh, shareholder markdown after the, the overfocus many felt by Zuckerberg on the metaverse. What's uh, any spin there? You, you think going into that earnings report? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So so Meta, as you have put in a small financial insert there on slide eight. You can see that the Q4 revenue is expected to be down six percent, but it's actually that Q1. A consensus guidance there of a, a decline of two percent year and year. I think that will prove to be too uh, too optimistic given what we have seen from Snap. I know Snap is is only you know four or five percent uh, of the size of, of of Meta in terms of revenue, so maybe the the sample size there is too small. So there's of course uncertainty in the, in, in that. But I, I think Meta is um, you know revenue figures are, are too optimistic at this point. So that that might be a downside risk there. But the upside risk is I think. I think Mark Zuckerberg has got the clue, and I per I personally believe that they they will come out with indications that they're scaling back on the metaverse, not the long term uh, bet, but it's basically the path and the trajectory to that endpoint where they will probably stretch in in terms of time and and lower the cost because they 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 basically have to. It's too dangerous to have the share price uh, lingering down here and uh, and have these ugly numbers because it's really part of their overall compensation package. So they need to move on that. Southern Copper is another company that uh, will be uh, interesting to follow today. But otherwise, if we look ahead tomorrow, Sony will be the big one in the uh, in the Asian session. A very successful company recently. Uh, a lot of things going well for them. Uh, Japanese company, look out for that. We have Infineon Technologies on the semiconductor side, uh, very big in the car industry. We'll report tomorrow morning before the market open. We have Shell, very interesting for all, I guess. And ABB, which is uh, our equivalent of uh, you know, GE or Honeywell, if you will, here in, in Europe. And then we have DSV, which is uh, another logistics firm that will that will report after UPS, where UPS is probably bigger on parcels. I think DSV is, is a company that is more has a larger footprint in, I would say, uh, infrastructure logistics, uh, companies to companies, and not so many endpoints with the actual consumer. And then, as you mentioned, we have the big uh, three from Apple, Alphabet, and Amazon. And then we'll also have JD.com in the US session, interesting one. So tomorrow is uh, the main course for this week and super interesting uh, following up on the uh, FMC rate decisions tonight. Uh, yeah. Very excited about it. Yeah, definitely that, as well as the uh, economic calendar through the end of the week, and, and especially Fridays. So, yeah, let's let's reserve our reactions around what happens tonight until we get a look at some of this data and some of these earnings as well to see what the general mood is. But uh, 
Pretty interesting uh, calendar items today, even ahead of the FOMC. We have the Eurozone January CPI estimate. Uh, this one getting, I think, increased in uh, attention after that very hot uh, Spanish CPI estimate for January, especially look at the core data. That's out basically uh, almost before this podcast is, is probably going to be hitting the uh, streets. So be aware of that one as a factor in today's trade in Euro and as an input into the ECB meeting uh, tomorrow with uh, the guidance there, very critical. The expectations are 150 basis points plus of additional hiking from the ECB. Uh, that includes tomorrow's 50 basis point hike. But that uh, that is, I think, the, the key driver of Eurodollar at these levels. We have, if you go two years forward, as I've talked about recently, if you go two years forward and look at the expected two-year rate two years from now, it is essentially at parity for the uh, for Europe versus the U.S. Uh, that's a tough one for me to swallow, but that's how the market is pricing it. So we need to see that adjusted, I think, uh, certainly to get a Eurodollar uh, any lower. And, and it could uh, supposedly go a little bit higher, but I think it would have to find other drivers besides uh, rate spreads, uh, for, to my mind, from you know the relative forward guidance from Fed and forward market expectations for the Fed versus the ECB. All right. January ISM manufacturing probably expected, uh, not probably, but is expected a bit downbeat after some pretty weak on, on average uh, regional surveys today. FOMC meeting itself, and do note the press conference is easily as important. This is an off meeting where we don't get the usual forecasts and dot plot adjustments, et cetera. That, that'll come with the March meeting, which is probably far more pivotal. I think the market is super pivotal going into this one, but the March one is really key because if uh, forward expectations are correct, that it's around that March meeting where we should be expecting the pause to come into view from the Fed. So that's a critical there. Uh, Brazil, uh, their selic rate announcement, no adjustment expected there. And then we have Bank of England, ugly task for them. They, they want to hike a bit more, but the, do they want to indicate much more after this meeting and the 50 basis points expected there? I think the market is a little bit aggressive on the forward lean on their further tightening, but let's see what they have to say. I think they'd like to soft pedal a little bit considering they have a much more stable uh, sterling and, and fuel costs are lower, et cetera. And then Friday with the big blast, of course, uh, non-farm payrolls change, average hourly earnings. Uh, you know, interesting to see these uh, after some some pretty soft numbers relative to the trend, uh, but not fitting with the Atlanta Fed's median wage index, which suggests we still have six plus percent wage growth in the U.S. And then the ISM services, where we're trying to find out if that December very ugly print was a sign of things to come or was a bit of an outlier, and we see some mean reversion back towards fifty. All right. That is a wrap for today. We also have the ADP private payrolls change. I forgot to mention that one as well today. Could have some bearing on the sort of the whisper numbers and the lean into Friday's data as well. So that, that's another one coming up today. Let's uh, stay careful out there. It's going to be an interesting three days ahead for sure. We'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.